and uh, welcome everyone to uh, having lunch over Zoom. I think we both kind of decided it wouldn't make so much sense to be eating and staring directly into the cameras. Is that that could be a little a, a little uh, more weird than having the camera like further away, but. Uh, I think doing this over Zoom is, is actually going to work pretty well, but we, we, we will see. I think to start, there's uh, some background details that need to be addressed. Yeah, I, I know. Um, Zach was telling me right when we uh, got on the video chat, he had questions about the flag that's right now uh, hanging over my bed. So that is a, a flag of the Communist Party of Vietnam that I purchased in Vietnam for something like to two us dollars because i think it was like five hundred thousand vietnamese dong um yeah yeah the currency is is a bit is a bit that's crazy. bananas five hundred thousand yeah. it's definitely bananas uh yeah like you you could just spend a million vietnamese dong i think it was like four bucks uh, what are the yeah what do the bills come in like the bills were in i want to say like hundreds thousands definitely hundred thousand um and that would be like 50 cents Something like that, yeah. Okay, wow. Something like that. Uh, yeah, we. I definitely remember taking out at least a couple million dollars. I mean, I was there for a few weeks. Um, yeah, I, I, I could be one zero off. That could have been, that it could be uh, one, one uh, decimal less, but whatever. The, the point is, the currency is a lot, the, the ratio to the US dollar is nuts. It's completely bonkers. The real point is you have a communist Vietnamese flag. That, okay, that's the real point. So, <laughs> so, so we, we can address that. We can address the, the, the elephant or the flag in the room. And I think it's there to remind me of a couple of things. The first is, uh, well, first of all, I'm not a communist. Um, I do, however, think that there are a lot of values um, in the communist system that are like good values and make a lot of sense. Uh, and are a lot better than capitalist values, especially kind of the late stage capitalism that we're experiencing today in America and, and kind of across the Western world. And I think it's a good reminder that there are other ways and we can continue to experiment and, and try new things to make people's lives better because our system does a really bad job of making uh, normal people's lives uh, good. Well, I actually was having like this conversation the other day and like what I said was the principles that communism is built on top of is like, why can't we all just share and like everyone does a little bit of work and like everyone gets to have a good time basically. And the principles that capitalism are built on top of are like, let's all compete and may the best person like win. And it's funny that the principles of the first one sound better, but the second one in practice seems to uh, end up being more fair. Like it, that just says something funny about human nature. Like, I don't know. Uh, it's just a strange concept, but I, well, I agree. I think the underlying like ideas behind communism are positive. I yeah, think they usually I, don't work out that way, but like, yeah, I think ultimately what, when you say like this capitalist system, you know, ends up being more fair than the communist system. I think that's because, all of the experiments with communism that we've seen have been basically absolute failures. And I think the real issue there is that communism is not so scalable. So if you look at communism in terms of the small communes or you know, kibbutz in Israel, they actually work really relatively well. 
uh, but when you try and expand it to countries of 100 million plus people, it actually doesn't really work at all. Well, yeah, it's because like when you get like a government that's run by people who are just in control, like just like an entirely centralized government, which is supposed to be like the step, and then those people are supposed to step away. Those people just in practice have never stepped away. Yeah, and, and, and on like, like the grand scheme, really stringent like. regulations, term limits, and things like that. Yeah. So I don't know. So far it hasn't worked, but I agree that like the ideas behind it are good. So that that's where the flag comes from. Yeah. But, yeah, but saying, like what are um during the last podcast, right? Like if we were to ever get to these kind of small scale societies, uh where you know you, you have a bunch of different societies of, of you know a hundred, maybe a few hundred, maybe a thousand and two thousand people running all sorts of different experiments, I personally think I would choose to live in like a more kind of communist type society, especially like if I knew everyone who was there and I kind of knew people were um, not taking advantage of the system. And I maybe even played a part in making the system and, and really felt like I had an actual stake. Uh, but of course, if you offered me the option of being part of a 300 million person uh, communist party in the United States, I'd say that's, that's patently absurd and it's not going to work. So that's, that's kind of why the flag's up there. It might be the Jews in us, but I feel like we always end up talking about kibbutzim on this podcast. It's Something, funny how that yeah. goes. I mean, I just think it's but a anyways, good idea. But anyways, that was the topic for last time. What are we talking about today? So the, uh, the main topic for today uh, is going to be kind of, I made this list of um, virtues, um, and they're not really particularly all in the moral category. Uh, they're kind of like life virtues and a lot of them have a moral flavor to them. Um, and I did not ever really intend on sharing them, but I actually worked on them a bunch while I've been at home for the coronavirus. Um, and I think I would like to kind of share those, you know, have discuss those with you and then share them with, um, any of the viewers. Um, which by the way, I think we should mention, you know, this is the first podcast we're recording since it was posted on YouTube. Uh, five days ago, we got like 300 some odd views in the past five days. So that's pretty solid. And there were some, definitely some issues in terms of video quality, not always being amazing, but I actually am pretty confident that they'll be a lot higher because we're on Zoom right now. Yeah, it's, it's to me shocking that like, because I thought the video quality was like pretty atrocious by the time it finally got like up on uh, like YouTube and got like fully posted. So I don't know. I think it speaks like highly to uh, like the people around us that they're willing to like give it a shot. So like, I'm grateful for that. I think that's awesome. Like I'm so appreciative. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely very grateful. It's funny because I listen to a lot of podcasts. There's always like the segments about we're so grateful to our viewers. And it's funny because it kind of becomes like a, uh, <laughs> like they do the same thing every single time. And it's like, all right, now I'm going to skip over this. But I think I genuinely can empathize and be like, wow, like it's crazy that, you know, people are going to come on and hear us talk and hopefully we're going to provide something interesting. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say this applies to you because I think you're a pretty wise dude, but like, what the fuck do I know? Like, why do people want to hear me speak? You know? <laughs> True. Um, it's definitely the, also the other thing that I, I got this in the mail today. I got a letter from uh, Trump saying he, he signed with his big name down here, gave me money. So that's, that's really wonderful to hear. I think we should address at least briefly 
um, you know, where we are now, what's going on with the virus uh, before we jump into the main segment. Well, I mean, my take on where we are is that it's just like pretty uncertain and like, uh, I don't know. I, I'm hopeful that like things are going to open up because we're both in like the greater New York area. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that things are going to like open up for real probably by, I don't know, like July. But like, I really have no idea, you know? Yeah. And, and I don't necessarily know that anybody does. Yeah. No, that's, I think, I think that's ultimately the, the point is that there's a lot of uncertainty out there. And I think it's been very interesting to see some people pretend to have lots of certain, like I, I know a couple of people and it's like seeing, you know, posts on Facebook of people that are pretending they know what's going to happen and, you know, building out all these models. And I, I built out a model just because I was interested in myself, but I had no level of confidence in the model that I would go around telling people like, Oh, my model predicts that in two weeks, this will happen. Right. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if it's going to come back in the fall. We don't know what the actual death rates are. We're not doing enough tests. And I think probably people are inundated with so much information uh, and so much, so, so many people get on TV uh, with like this false sense of, oh, I know what's going on or like I'm a doctor or I made this model or whatever. And I think ultimately, you know, we don't know what's going on, but I think there's a lot of ways in which uh, it's really helped me feel a connection to like my own humanity and mortality. Uh, and that's kind of cool to just kind of reflect on. I think it's funny to just watch different people's coping mechanisms. Cause that's really what the model is. That's what people who did like, it's just people who like to use data as their means of like seeing the world. So they're just like building out uh, systems that make them feel less uncertain in these uncertain times. And then yeah. there's people who are like just comfortable with uncertainty and they're kind of just like getting through it, but like no one's inherently comfortable with uncertainty, but there's going to be people who are coping better than others. And there's also kind of, it's, it's funny to watch because like historically, like I've struggled with like pretty serious anxiety and just like things like that. So it's funny to get into a situation like this and kind of feel better equipped than like maybe other people. Cause like people are like, oh, like I'm so stressed. I'm so anxious. And it's like, like, yeah, me too. But like, I like have had to learn how to deal with that just normally. So I kind of like have systems in place already, which has been like an interesting thing. Yeah, no, that, that's very cool. I think in a lot of ways this has, my meditation practice has come into like one of the first things that I kind of learned about meditation is that my mind, like the things that are always popping up in my mind are like these worries, but they're not really worries. They're kind of like scenario plans that kind of happen in my head of like, okay, like if I go here and then like this happens, then like I have recourse one, two, and three, and then like I can kind of build up the <laughs> tree of, and, and it, it does give me a sense of security. And that's why I kind of indulge myself. Like I, poured a bunch of hours into this model, I gathered a bunch of data, I put it on my computer and was like, okay, now I don't have to spend an hour every day uh, hearing about the virus. I kind of did my work up front. I was like, this is what I think will happen. I generated a couple different scenarios and that was kind of it. So I think that kind of segues like pretty well into one of the things we're gonna be touching on later, which is uh, just from my perspective, it's everybody's job to like do the best by themselves and like take care of themselves and like treat themselves as well as possible. But once it like once it's taken to a place where it's like these are my ideas, like let me like kind of push them on you. Like that's when it stops really being so effective. I think because I think uh, people are similar, but people are different, and like everyone has like different uh, 
like methods of just like dealing with things and have different like things that just work for them. So I think that figuring out what works for you and then maybe giving advice and like being supportive to people is a positive thing, but then being like, do this my way is a really, really bad thing. Yeah. So I think for the people who are taking it that extra step and being like, oh, I generated this model, like look at it and then like, like believe it. Like, I think (laughs) that's too much. Like that doesn't work for me. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. And I think also it's, it's interesting because I got home from St. Louis about a little over a month ago and the first week, when I was home, I kind of was struggling in that I didn't have a routine. Um, I was still kind of doing my classes and I was trying to just like, like adjust to being home. But I talked with a bunch of friends and tried to like take a bunch of different good ideas about how to create kind of structure and routine. And I have a whiteboard on my wall over there and it lists seven things that I want to be doing every day. The first is playing piano. The second is meditating. The third is uh, speaking with someone in a social context. Uh, the fourth is digesting content, whether that be um, whether that be basically podcast or reading a book. The fifth is taking a walk, uh, and the sixth is working out in some capacity. Uh, and the last one is goal of the day, and that's different every day. So, like some days that today my goal of the day is do this podcast. Uh, tomorrow it's going to be cook dinner. Um, after that, who knows? I'll figure it out. But I think kind of creating that arbitrary structure has been really useful for me, but I would not impose that same structure on everyone else, right? Like I think lots of people would, would need different types of structures um, or maybe no well, I also will. Yeah. I really love that. I really, I really love that you're doing that because to me, those are all, productive outlets for uh, pent up energy. And like, I think a big thing that, uh, like a big portion of kind of just living is just figuring out ways to structure your time. And I think the methods that you're choosing are just productive and positive, you know? And like, I'm less of a planner. So like, I don't necessarily, like I like laying things out that way makes me feel more confined than like uh, relieved. So, I don't, I don't like write it out that way. I'm kind of just gonna like, like for me, the best thing to do is I like to take it day by day. Like I have a tendency to let my world get really big and I like focus on like the big picture and that like freaks me out where it's like, what am I going to do in a week, a month, a year, like five years? Like, what is my life going to be like? Like I have a tendency to get like very like wide viewed. So when that happens, like I just need to like focus in and be like, all right, like, like today is is like whatever like a sunday like here's what i have to do here's what i can do and let me just like figure something out so just like focusing on like the moments for me is like something that helps me a lot but i end up doing a lot of the exact same things that you're doing Mm -hmm. so like i play like i play a lot of music i busted a string on my guitar the other day so i've started playing some ukulele which has been fun and uh yeah i've been cooking with my family when i can i've been like watching a lot of youtube a lot of tv like just but i don't view that as a waste of time because i'm of the opinion that anything that makes an individual a more interesting person is productive i think anything that you can do and then go and then talk about or learn something or take anything away from is a productive thing so i think if you're watching a fucking great movie and like you just like you watch it and then like you're like wow that was an amazing movie like i can break down like this this and this about it or i can just go and talk about that amazing film with someone else that likes that film like mm-hmm. that's a positive thing anything that 
any experience that makes you a more interesting person to my mind is a productive thing. Yeah. I, I, I like how you put that. Like I, the category that I have is called content absorption. And typically what that means is um, for me, podcasts or books. But the other day I watched like an hour and a half documentary on uh, like the British East India companies uh, basically conquering of India. And like, wow, that was sick. And like, I, I imagine it must have been pretty brutal too. Well, it was, it was, I mean, definitely brutal. It was basically a corporation, um, you like paying people to like murder and like conquer their own people. But yeah, we don't need to get bogged down in that part of it, but like a real atrocity. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think content, I mean, we have access to so much good content these days. Like even I've been listening, I've always been a big podcast listener or at least for the past like couple of years, but I never really listened to so much Joe Rogan or like I'd listen to like some clips here or there. But like now that I have just gobs of time on my hand, I'm listening to probably at least, and, and I'm listening at one and a half times speed. I'm listening to like two hours of podcasts a day, every single day. Like, why is it not in my ear? Unless if I'm making dinner, like I'm listening to a podcast when I'm working out, I'm listening to a podcast unless I need, need like a burst of energy at the end, then I'll put on some like hype music, but I am getting just like hearing so many interesting people and so many interesting different viewpoints. And they're all kind of, and it's every day, it's something new. It's kind of a treat. Um, now, that's not to say that I'm like, oh my God, like this is Nirvana. This is what I want to be doing all the time because I of course am not. an extroverted person and I really am missing lots of social contact. But I do think that I will um, make sure that like when I enter the real world and when this is kind of all over, I'm going to make sure like I actually take some more time out for myself and just like listen to a podcast, go for a walk, like jam on the piano, meditate. And just like, this is like my three hour block. Like no one is talking right like that. I, I think I'll be doing more of that. So this is like something about me that actually tends to surprise people, but like, I'm generally more introverted. Like I would prefer to be on my own than in most cases at like a big social event, just because like, they stress me out. Like I get like, I get like a lot of anxiety in situations like that. So I do tend to actually prefer like time to myself. And like, obviously this is too much, but like, that's another reason why I feel like all things considered, like I'm doing pretty well given the circumstances. And I also have people that like I call every day and like, there's, there's like things like in place that make it like more uh, manageable, but on like a similar note, like I watched like, do you know who Travis Barker is? No. So he was, uh, he's the drummer for Blink-182 and like some people say he's one of the best drummers of all time and like he produces now uh, like for like up and coming rap artists and like has done a bunch of work with Machine Gun Kelly but like I watched a I watched him on Joe Rogan and I watched them have like a two and a half hour conversation and they were just like talking about like cool shit and like I was learning so much that I just would never have expected to got mm -hmm. from that like conversation like I was learning about how uh in the US, we've like specifically bred wheat to have like a hundred times more gluten than is natural. So yeah. in the US, like that's why there's people who are gluten intolerant and they can go to like Spain or like elsewhere in Europe and just have no issues. But it's just because like we like we just like maximized it because that's what we do in the United States. We just have a culture of maximization <laughs> and like now we just basically ruined bread. We ruined gluten. And yeah. like I learned that by watching a drummer who's covered from literally head to toe 
and tattoos talk to a comedian on a podcast. It's yeah. like you can learn th- you can learn things from anybody, and like that. Just yeah. For me, was like I love to see that. Like I was just so fascinated the whole time watching this conversation. Yeah, I think I think that's awesome. I haven't watched that uh, episode, but the most recent one I was watching with was with another comedian, Duncan Trussell, and he started a show called Midnight Gospel, and they're just talking about like animation and the process of animation. And I just like didn't really have a good sense of like how it works, but he was telling me that he has like a studio of like a hundred designers and like how they're doing each of the frames and how they deal with continuity problems. And, and if you watch the show, like it's so colorful, the animation is crazy. And it was cool to just like hear about what that process is like and just learn about something. I, I would never have, if you were like, Ben, do you want to like read a book on animation? I'd be like, nah, if you were like, do you want to like listen to this podcast? It's going to be on animation. I, it probably wouldn't jump at me, but it's like, oh, Joe Rogan, Duncan Trussell. I like click on it. And then like 30 minutes in, they do uh, spend 30 minutes talking about animation. And I was in heaven. I just like loved it. And I think that is, is very cool. Um, and yeah, I, I really like podcasts as a, as a medium. I think it really speaks so highly to uh, Joe Rogan's capacity as a learner. Cause I don't think he's necessarily the most intelligent man like on the planet. Like I bet if you put him, if you put like, I don't know, equations in front of him, he might not do as well as like someone who like actually is on top of that kind of stuff. And like, he also has spoken about how he did really poorly in high school and like all of these kinds of things, and, like how he thought he was going to like fail out and like had to like retake it. And like how that was like a real uh, like traumatic experience for him. But this guy has managed to just, acquire the biggest breadth of knowledge maybe of anybody yeah like he's just such a sponge he's learned so much from like so many experts and like he's now able to just have conversations on literally almost any topic any topic any topic it's amazing to watch amazing he's got he's got things to say about it because he's just a sponge he just absorbs information and and to me it also speaks negatively to the education system that a guy that's able to learn like that did badly in high school yeah it just goes to show that the system doesn't work for everybody yeah it's a really shitty i mean you know in a, in yeah, a lot because of ways obviously like fits all systems just don't make sense they just are bad ideas yeah especially for children as they're like well, i mean okay well and i do think i do think the education system probably works for uh probably works for the average person not that the average person is a concept that really exists, yeah. but like I think that it's built around like it's built around like the way someone who thinks like averagely or normally like and like that that's going to set them up to like fit well into the system. But like I think probably some of the most extraordinary people on the planet just don't think that way, and that's what makes them extraordinary. And that system isn't going to work for them. So I think enforcing education with no uh, boundaries for. Um, like freedom for no boundaries for um, (laughs) for like, yeah, for just like taking your interests into your own hands and like pushing them is probably a bad thing. I, or I don't necessarily a bad thing, but I think it means that the people who are going to be like outliers or exceptions are going to just have to figure out something else. And like, they can't rely on that system, which isn't also a bad thing because it pushes them to move in their own direction and it pushes individuals towards individuality, which is a good thing. But like, I don't know. The system just doesn't work ubiquitously. Awesome. So I, I think that was a really interesting point you were saying about education. I think also 
it's a really good bridge subject just to the state of education, especially higher education today. Like the fact is, WashU is basically able to provide us, at least in terms of the lecture classes, with almost 100% of the same educational value as we were getting uh, in school. Now, I think that the main things that you get from a college education are not related entirely to the classes themselves, right? It's, it's having the time to live on your own and getting to meet the people and be involved in extracurriculars and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of the actual classes itself, I mean, as some of the viewers may know, um, I was on the board of trustees doing educational policy for the university. And my latest blog post was like a, a pretty long piece talking about how uh, the business school, but all of WashU should kind of reform things. And one of the most obvious things is make large lecture classes, online videos, and then charge less for tuition. Like there is a macroeconomics teacher um, at WashU. I'm not, I'm not, I won't say anyone's name, but I know that she's been teaching every single year, the same class with the same lectures over and over again, semester after semester and making like a hundred grand a year over the past, like, <laughs> 20 years. So that's like $2 million to the university, right? And that's just for one class. That's just for macro and just one professor. There's also like two professor macro, two for micro. There's chem, there's biology, there's the intro in every, in psychology, in all, there's literally hundreds of people making on the order of millions of dollars a year, teaching lecture classes with over a hundred people and teaching the same lectures year after year over and over again. Why the fuck are they doing that? Why is it not just a recorded video that you could just play year after year, and then you could hire, you could have TAs, or you could have that professor be part-time, or you could have it being an actual research professor. It's just like stupid things that the university does, not to mention all of the administrative bloat, um, which I think is maybe even a bigger issue, but I think it's shown in a lot of ways that, especially for large lectures, you don't need to be there in person. I mean, I've learned so much better when I can just do the class in my bed on one and a half times speed instead of going to the lecture hall and then just sitting and talking with my friends and not learning anything. Yeah. And I mean, there's the policy that when you're in a big lecture and you need to take notes, it needs to be by hand. And like, that's just, there's, there's just, there's a bunch of, to be honest. Uh, so I know this last semester you took classical piano and I took classical guitar. And that was in a one-on-one -on -one forum and it was two credits. And I honestly think that was the single best learning experience I've had so far at college. Yeah. Same here for me. Uh, I would say one of the best, one of the best. I think I've had a few other classes. I had a philosophy class freshman year that was like a grad school seminar and it was me and like nine other people and the professor. And that was awesome. I had a history class this year with 12 people, right? Like small setting classes have been my best, but you know, sitting in a multi-hundred person lecture, you know, you might want to require, require it for people in order to, you know, get their prereqs or whatever it is, but making them sit there and listen to the same canned lecture over and over again while they're paying thousands of dollars per course, I mean, that, that's, that's, really, that's really theft. Yeah, it's ludicrous. It's, it's theft. It, it's just theft on, on, the, on the part of the university. And it's something that I, I wish I was able to communicate more with people who are have actual decision-making power. Um, but I think the university, you know, is, is going to, is recognizing right now um, that it's an option to do more online learning. And, and it's just a matter of how they're going to, uh, you know, take that moving forward. 
Well, I mean, we could, if we're talking about higher education in America, we can really just branch out to, it's the fact that it's a privatized business, I think is, is an issue in general. Yeah. I, I mean, something, one, one idea that I have is the federal government should literally pass a law that um, you, you as an institution cannot get any federal funding if you have an endowment bigger than $1 billion, right? Right off the bat, you have WashU, which has eight, nine billion, uh, Harvard, which has 40 billion and, and a bunch of other universities. And you basically say to them, you are not going to get any research funding, any Pell grants for your students, none of that, unless you start opening up uh, a campus, uh, a new campus every 10 years for like X thousands of people. And it has to be in like certain areas. So like you should have Harvard opening a campus in Ohio next year. Why are they not opening a campus next year besides to just entrench their own power as this exclusive university? I mean, it is a terrible, terrible institution that they're hoarding all this cash. They're furloughing workers at the time when they don't have to be, right? They have all this excess money. What are they doing, right? We should just, as the federal government should just say, no, nothing. You are getting nothing from us until you actually provide value to the people of this country, right? And by only accepting 2,000 students a year and, have, and most of them getting, and a lot of them getting in through whatever connections or, or different ways they get in and it being, you know, completely impossible for, for so many people in this country to attain a pathway to success, just require the institutions to have more spots. Plain and simple. I have been having a lot of conversations with uh, one of the like smartest people that I know who just has like a uniquely global perspective as a result of like her childhood and her family. And like, she just has like moved around a lot and things like that. And the more I talk with her, like the more I start to think like Canada is kind of doing it right in a lot of ways beyond education. I think, I think Canada is kind of just doing it right. Like, like, just generally <laughs> they're doing better than us. I mean, they're doing better than us in on, on healthcare for sure. Um, but on just so many, yeah, on just so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but I mean, we have these, I mean, not even talk about the problem of, of companies um, sitting on their cash and using it for buybacks and, and things of that nature. But these institutions like a Harvard or a Yale that have tens of billions of dollars in money that they're spending on private equity and real estate and natural resources. I mean, what the fuck are these institutions doing? They should be, oh, if, if Harvard has a competitive advantage in, you know, we know how to structure universities and teach people and this and that, open up another university, open up 10 more campuses. WashU with its $9 billion could purchase, even if they use just 10% of that money, right? Or a little more, they take a billion dollars, they could buy a massive plot of land in the middle of rural, pick whatever state you want in the Midwest and build really, really nice buildings and then start attracting talent and have an option for thousands of more students and just provide more opportunity to the people of this country. There are hundreds of millions of people in this country and there are just not enough colleges. And we are only seeing, we're seeing less than 40% of kids go to college. But if you don't go to college in this country, you really don't have an opportunity to excel and achieve the american dream in the same way that your parents and grandparents did so we have a supply constraint and a demand that's just continuously growing and basically only the privileged people whose parents went to college are the ones going to college and these 
these people whose parents didn't go to college, there aren't options for them because there are not new colleges opening. And the reason is because colleges like Harvard and to a lesser extent, but still problematically, is WashU sitting on billions of dollars in cash and saying, oh, we're, we're holding it just in case, just in case. First of all, when the just in case comes, the first thing they do is they put on a hiring freeze and furlough all their part-time workers. And now they're just, they're just sitting on the cash. And the WashU endowment is going to just reinvest more because they're like, oh, prices are low now. We have a chance to make more money. I mean, the idea that the universities are structured to maximize their endowment is absurd, but that's kind of the way it's actually functioning, right? They're just maximizing their own internal power. And there's no external mission of like educate as many people as possible or create a positive influence on the world. It's just like maximize our own power, make sure the endowment level doesn't drop. Um, and it's, it's, it's completely crazy. I had a conversation with some people that worked at the Wash U Endowment Fund, which is like, mm -hmm. actually like, it's like there is a group of people who like just manage the endowment and that's yeah. like their job. And uh, it was shocking to me because they were mentioning all these uh, venture funds that they invest in. And I, and I was saying like, isn't that money that should be used for the students? Like, how is your risk tolerance that high? And they said that the endowment is used to, or they said that first of all, Barnes Jewish at Wash U covers 50% of all the expenses. Yeah, 1.2 billion a year in expenses come from elective surgeries at hospitals. And the endowment holds only 6%. 6% of the total endowment is in cash and liquid bonds. Everything else is in these, these uh, emerging markets, frontier markets, natural resources, real estate, private equity, venture capital, hedge fund, right? Like non-liquid. It's insane. Assets. It's yeah. insane. It's, it's, what it's, it is. it's like a, it, it's like a family office um, where the goal is not even to help out the family. It's just to get the money to go as high as possible. And like, there, there's no accountability either, but like you could read, you, you could read the, the report from the endowment. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's really, really crazy. And the board doesn't care. The board of trustees is just like, oh, we want to keep maximizing the endowment for the quote unquote long-term health of the university and the institution. But I mean, if you do, you would never cross a sidewalk if you or get in a car, if you were, you know, constantly terrified of doing anything new, like you got to take a risk and the university should wash you. And what I was trying to get them to do, which they're, they're probably not going to do uh, is try and do something different, like pioneer a new model. Um, but you know, they're really ultra conservative. It's a lot of the people that are actually making the decision. So, so the, the trustees and the chancellor, right? They're a bunch of, it, it's mostly baby boomer generation, people in their 60s, 70s, and even 80s who have made a ton of money and have been super successful and are focused on conserving the power of the university, but not willing to experiment or do anything kind of new. But I think what we need is going to be some kind of external driver, probably from the federal government to, uh, you know, kind of come out and force these institutions to, to make a change. So I actually often feel weird about like discussing things that would be, I think, considered more, uh, political topics, I guess, particularly on a forum where it's going to be, uh, 
projected out to other people because I just never want like I firmly believe that everyone should like have the ability to like formulate their like views themselves and also I'm coming from the perspective like like I'm saying all these things and these are the conclusions that I've come to but I really don't think I know very much about the world or about any topic in particular like I don't think I'm particularly clever or qualified to pass judgments on any of this so i just i just would like to uh like mention that just so like everything that uh i say at least gets taken with a grain of salt and like i do think about all this stuff because it's important and because i care and i care about the direction society is moving in and i also just care about people in general and i think i want things to be uh as good as possible i am leaning towards the word like ideal but like which is just because like that's a topic we've discussed like pretty in depth. And I do think it's like very possible for the world to be a place that's just better for everyone. I really firmly believe that. I really, really believe that. But I just, yeah, I just don't necessarily, uh, I don't necessarily think that I have the answers and how to get there. I just do think that we could get there. Yeah, so... So I'll say a couple of things. I mean, the first is obviously, you know, almost anything anyone says should be taken with a grain of salt, period, end of story. And, and moreover, you know, I don't think I have all of the right answers either to any subject. Um, I think that also most people in the world also don't know so much about the world. I think most people are just displaying a level of overconfidence um, at basically all times. And so we shouldn't just let those people kind of get away with it. I think it's also important, um, you know, for me, I, I am willing to suggest a bunch of different ideas or, you know, try writing about them in my blog or talking about them on the podcast. Some of them may turn out to be terrible ideas that maybe I don't realize, maybe I do realize in a few weeks and then I'm like, they're terrible ideas. And maybe some of them aren't half bad. Uh, and maybe some of them are half somewhere in the middle. Um, but I think it's okay to, to, to kind of give these suggestions, especially when it's like very evident that it's a problem. And then kind of the, the more important thing you were talking about was the fact that, you know, we both want, I think, and, and most people want in, upon reflection that the world be a better place and people have higher levels of welfare and are happier. Um, and I think this is kind of a nice segment to our main topic. Um, which is kind of the, the virtue system that I'll be uh, sharing on my screen in just a second. And, and I, I think the basic premise of me making this virtue system is, you know, A, I, I never planned to kind of share this with everyone. This was supposed to be kind of for me in, in times where I was making a big decision to, to take a look at it uh, and kind of reflect on what my values are and what virtues I want to be having. But I think also it's kind of a system wherein if everyone on the planet were to kind of try their best to follow these virtues, I think everyone would be better off. Um, and so I think that that's kind of a nice uh, segment, segue. So I'm super excited to do this, first of all. <clears throat> and second of all, I am firmly of the opinion that, uh, that global change, I think, starts with individuals. And I think if everybody did their utmost to like better themselves the world would have to improve as a result so i think 
I think it's good to try and implement things from the top down, but I also think in terms of, uh, I think, I think there's in terms of like individuals, cause like a lot of people feel overwhelmed. It's like, what can I do? The, and the answer to that is you can do the best you can, you know, like you can do the best by yourself. You can spread positivity in every way that you can. You can be, uh, kinder. You can be, like more honest, you can, you can just, and I think also a lot of this comes from, uh, I think a lot of the negativity in general comes from um, just internal situations. Cause I think there was this big principle that I'm sure it's going to come up uh, once we get into uh, the rules that you made, which again, in my opinion are well thought out and clever. And I think speak to how, uh, how much of a thinker you are and what, what kind of person you are. And I think it's really just an amazing activity that you're doing. But we'll but, uh, let the viewers judge that once they see the. Uh, that's that's just my take on it. That's just my take on it. But <laughs> it. uh, it's just that it's just that it's never about you or me or any like it's not about like if someone is a real asshole, that's because it probably sucks to be that, that person. That's because that person probably really doesn't like themselves, and being that person is probably harder than listening to that person like shit on someone else. And the other fact is that when someone makes any kind of statement about another individual, it's the job of the person on the other end to decide whether or not to accept it. So if someone looks at another person and goes, you're dumb, and you're, and you're already of the opinion like, oh, like I think I might be dumb, like then that's gonna have an impact. But if you are set in yourself and you know like you believe in yourself, like you know who you are and you're like, yeah, I might not be like, like I'm smart in these ways and maybe not so smart in those. Like if you're just, like if you have that belief, then nothing will ever impact you negatively. So it all just comes from like internal validation. Like you just need to, you just need to be that person for yourself so that way no one else can ever impact you. At least not in a negative way is my just general take on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that was that was really deep. I, I think that was really that like struck a chord uh, for me. I think, I mean, th- there's a lot of deep philosophical questions you can uh, we could end up getting into about like what is identity, what does it mean to be like me or you, or like what's going on in my head, th- these types of things. But ultimately, you know, life is kind of at the hands of how you choose to perceive it, and what people say, and what people do, and what you do. And how you look at the world is is based on the lens you kind of choose to see through. Um, and I think that people have more power to change the way that they see the world than they might otherwise think. And that's something that I've also realized. I, I could not agree with that more. I firmly believe that every person is the master of their fate. Because, so I... I at least in terms of the way that they're digesting what's well, happening to them. And I think that per, I think perception is everything because like, so the world is something that exists, but like the way we process it is a choice. And I think in a lot of ways, the choice is almost more important than the fact, because like, like I see, well, okay. So the way it was conceptualized to me is through the concept of dreaming 
Okay. Saying that human beings are constantly dreaming. And that doesn't mean literally. That means that that reality is like a canvas projection that we put upon it. Yeah. Our perception is the actual driver. No? I'm, I'm following. Does that make sense? You were, cutting, you were cutting a little bit in and out in terms of the, uh, the audio. Okay. But let's just let's just dive into uh, let's just dive into the rules that you generated because I feel like that might be a better medium. Okay, yeah, I think we'll dive. Then just taking, then just taking, yeah, then just taking broad strokes. Yeah, and I think I think we'll talk about it. But but again, I really do like the idea that like you know because because I don't think there is like an objective reality. It's very hard to kind of tell like what is this world that that's going on around us. Um, and I, I like I like the thought about dreaming. So. I'll share the screen. Can, can you uh, see it right now? I can, yes. Okay, so I, I actually have my original text um, up. I, you thought it would be a good idea to kind of keep it up here, but this is – I, I kind of set out a goal for myself. Well, I'm just, I'm just into that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to try and think about how I was going to start, and it was very hard for me, so I wrote, this is very hard. How do I even start at putting these down? I guess I'll just try typing and see what happens. And the first three things I put on here, and these are not um, in the value system, but they're something that I pulled from some other content. So, so I wrote a post on like how, what I think the keys to me a meaningful life are. And I thought that the three keys would be, uh, you know, pursuing capital T truth, um, having connectedness in your life and having impact. And I think, uh, you know, we, we could talk a lot about those three things, but I think instead of doing that, we can just kind of jump to what the actual virtues are. I think this was a lot of inspiration, right? The, the idea here was not so much to hear are the rules for living a meaningful life, but like here are interesting values and virtues that I hold for myself. Um, and I think it would be great if everyone had these values, but people don't need to have these exact ones. I think just generally these are good rules that are helpful for me in, in feeling like I'm, I'm you know, doing good on the planet um, and if I have tough decisions, it's something for me to reference. So I only made these a couple days ago, and I haven't really spent that much time on them. But I thought it'd be a kind of a good idea to share them. So maybe I'll just right start before from, yeah, right before we jump into the rules themselves, I think that first sentence about not knowing where to start, so therefore just starting, actually has a lot of significance because I think often with any given task, the hardest part is starting it and there's that feeling it's like i don't know where to start i don't know where it's gonna go like i don't know how to do it and the and like just getting going is often the most difficult and important thing to do so just once you get moving that's when you get because like you can always revise you can always come back to it but you need to just like just getting it there just having things down yeah. i feel like is is worthwhile so well, i just think that that's why i'm so attached to the idea that's why i enjoyed it so much yeah, I really couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I could see it kind of with myself when I was doing this. The thing that I was most worried about was like, how am I going to categorize it? How many rules am I going to come up with? Which one should be first? Those were the types of things that I was worried about. And then I was just like, fuck it. Let me just start typing right now. And then we'll see what comes. Um, and then in the end, I got like some inspiration from Aristotle. and was like, all right, I'll do 12. 
Um, and this, that's kind of what this is right now. But you can't um, wait for inspiration. You need to give yourself the opportunity to become inspired. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So, um, I, I hope some viewers also either can take a laugh at me at that or uh, can get some inspiration uh, for themselves. So, let, let's start with the first one, which is be willing to stand up for what you think is right, even if it's not popular. And kind of the subnote for it is also be willing to compromise once you make the intended point as there's no benefit from dragging a losing battle forward more than it needs to. Um, and I think I'll give a second of commentary on it before uh, I let you dive in and, and say what, what you think about it. But it, this one has really come to me, I mean, specifically as it regards like my relationship with my family and kind of how I was raised uh, in Judaism, but now more recently, kind of the fact that I'm a vegetarian and, and none of them are, and, and we eat not like a crazy amount of meat, but like a lot of meat. Um, and so like, while I've been home the first few weeks, I've, I've been trying to make it like a pretty big point of like, you know, I'm not going to eat meat and like, it's shitty that you guys eat meat. And you know, every time they pull out meat, I'm like, you know where this came from? Like this chicken was living, uh, in a cell that's barely larger than its body size, living in a pit of feces. It's morbidly obese, uh, morbidly obese, can't even walk, um, you know, stuffed up with antibodies and spends its whole life. Um, even though it's naturally a pretty social creature living in this literally pit of feces until it's murdered and, you know, saying that kind of stuff. And I think ultimately it made some impact on my family. We kind of came to somewhat of a resolution in terms of having less meat, but they're not going to cut it out entirely from their diets because they really like it and it's healthy and blah, blah, blah. But kind of in the past few days and, and, and the past few weeks, I've kind of begun to realize like, all right, I made my point. I think everyone kind of got it. And if I keep saying it every meal, like, oh my God, you guys are horrible. You're like eating these chickens. You're terrible people. Like it starts to go from I'm doing something righteous to I'm being an asshole. And so now it's like the time to kind of compromise and say, all right, it's good that you guys are trying to start and have like less meat and try eating some fake meat and try, you know, eating other vegetables and other ways of getting protein and other healthy meals. And I think you know, that, that, that's kind of where this has been in coming into play in my life and kind of the reason why I put it as the first one on the list. So first of all, thanks for sharing that. I love that it comes from personal experience. It's like also always interesting to hear about uh, other people's relationships with their family because families can be hard. Families can be really hard. But so I think the first part I agree with 100 percent. it's in it's absolutely essential to be grounded enough in your beliefs to stand up for them because if you truly believe something you should believe it enough to be willing to stand up for it because that just to me that just shows commitment that shows uh that shows that there was thought put in that it was because i think it's very easy to lead a thoughtless life and i think just coming to a position that is developed and sticking to it, but also being open-minded at the same time and being willing to hear out other people's perspectives, like being firm in that you thought it through, but not being obstinate and like still being open-minded. I think that's like one of my values just always being open-minded. That's a goal for myself. Mm -hmm. um, and then in terms of, in terms of not pushing it too far, that to me just is, it's an individual's job to 
better themselves as best they can, but for any other person to change, any other adult, because kids can be, kids can be uh, shaped because they're like malleable. But for any adult to change anything about themselves, the impetus has to come from them, from, them, yeah. from within them. So you can say like, hey, this is a good idea. Like, I would love it if you'd think about it. I would love if we could have a conversation about this, like whatever. But you can never force an adult to change. And attempting to is just going to force them to dig their heels in. Yeah. So, so, and then that just results in a worse situation for everybody. It can create conflict. It can, it can do any number of negative things. So I would say always be willing to help the people you care about become the best version of themselves but also accept them for who they are. Because if, you're, if, you're, if you are in a relationship with someone in any capacity and you're like, I like them, but I would like it if this thing changed, then, you like, then you're not accepting that person. You know, because you can't expect someone to change because you want them to, because they have to want to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of my stance on that whole issue. That yeah. like, and... I mean, I also kind of have come to that just because as a person, I generally am more conflict diverse. Like I really don't enjoy like confrontations and like arguments and like that kind of thing. Like I love discussion. I love conversation, but like, I don't like pushing my ideas upon another person. I don't like having other people's pushed upon me. Like to me, it's just a very, uh, it just, it's just, it grates on me. Like it's just grates on my nerves. And like, I just don't like, I don't like that, which is probably a big portion of why I am the way that I am. Mm-hmm. But that's just the kind of, uh, that's the place like I've arrived at. Like that's, that's like yeah. my perspective on it now. Well, it's very interesting because I, I agree with basically all of what you said. And I think I, I think a lot of people probably think I am more confrontational than I think I am. Meaning like lots of times I'll say things to people like, oh, like you shouldn't be eating meat. It's like murdering animals. And like, it's a really bad thing to do. And like, in my mind, that's a discussion starter and like a prompt to think. But, but I do think that a lot of people uh, take that as like some kind of an attack and get all defensive and, and dig their heel and, you know, dig their heels in and, and things of that nature. But um, so, so I think it's just, it's been a learning experience for me, uh, you know, just, just deal, dealing with that and trying to be like, no, like this is a discussion. Like it's something that I came to most of my life. I ate meat and like, I don't think that makes me a terrible person. Um, but like, I think it was a bad thing to do. And like, here's why. But I think the, the most important part of this one is uh, the even if it's not popular, because, you know, the best retort that, or not the best, but it's maybe even the worst, but, but the retort that I hear most often from people is like, oh, but like all these other people are doing this or like everyone else is doing this. And I'm just like, you know what? Like for most of human history, no one let women vote and like people were, had slaves and like all sorts of things where if you looked around and was like, oh, everyone else is doing this you know, that's a lot of bad shit. And you don't get out of doing bad shit by saying everyone else is doing it. Just because everyone else is eating meat, that's not a reason why you should be eating meat. You should, and like something that I think is just like, oh, if you are going to eat chicken, you should have to like kill a chicken yourself, like maybe annually, like maybe we don't need a law for it. But I just think like, if you feel comfortable eating chicken, like why don't you go to a slaughterhouse and kill a chicken and like see how that feels and then still see if you are comfortable eating chicken. But instead, you know, people are, are um, you know, very happy to just kind of like delegate it off to the side and it just ends up in a nice package at the store and then, you know, you bread it or you put it in a cutlet and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you don't even know that it's chicken. But uh, that, that's kind of 
that that's kind of uh, what's it called? That that's kind of a side issue. Um, are you at eight percent right now? By the way, in terms of your battery. Yeah. Okay. So let me let me give it a quick pause, um, and you can have a chance to uh, to go and charge your computer. Is the recording paused? No, I think it's still going. Uh, pause. So. Where we just left off, you had mentioned that specifically, like since you've been at home, you feel like you've kind of gotten in fights sometimes when like you really just mean to like have a discussion and it's been, uh, and like attentions have been misconstrued. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's not the only time in my life that it's happened, but I think it, it probably happens more because we're all locked in the same space for an extended period of time. Yeah. So historically that's been something like I... Like struggled with also like I feel like uh, like my perception wasn't exactly the same as how I am and something that actually helped me with that was another one of the courses I took at WashU that I think a lot of people think is useless but for me was probably the best course in the business school that I've taken so far and that was management 201 and that class is exclusively on like communicating in like a business setting and like figuring out how to uh draft an email in like a way that is like polite and kind and like the tone is right and like just communicating in like a way that is more productive and doesn't leave you seeming like an asshole and like that was something that I actually worked really hard at because it was something that I needed to work really hard at and it's like been effective I think for me big time yeah so like I just, in terms of, in terms of that, it's like, that's a shared experience, I feel like. And I think there's other people who probably feel that way too, that like, maybe that they're misunderstood. And when a person's misunderstood, that's not a reflection of, like, people suck, they don't get me. That's a reflection of, I need to get better at communicating what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been a learning experience, even doing this podcast, you know, there, there were, times I, I i can't remember the specific times especially because you know we recorded some of the episodes a very long time ago where i was like wow you know i am not getting my point across as well as i want to and i think a younger version of myself would have been like oh my god like fuck you you're not listening to me but now i'm just like oh like you know i gave a bad example or like i was not being clear about what i was talking about or i use certain jargon or this and that and it's kind of been a learning experience for me uh, with that as well. So it's definitely important to be an active listener. And I, that's actually something that I really pride myself on. I think I'm capable of listening like well, but I think that it's the person's, it's an individual's job to be understood. It's not the other person's job to understand you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the truth is when I'm, when I'm now reading this first, uh, you know, bullet point again, I'm just like in my mind, what what it part of what it meant to the be willing to compromise you know a major portion of that is be an active listener to what other people are saying uh and be open to what they're saying and and be it's possible that i'm wrong or i'm wrong for their circumstance and i think you know the word compromise i could even just bold it here like compromise includes all sorts of that kind of stuff in the background uh, that is really important. Um, like you can't have compromise unless there's listening on both sides. 
uh, and, and an openness to, to learn. So I think that that is like the kind of the key there. Um, should I Being open-minded the- in general is such an underrated trait yeah. to my mind. I think yeah. like not enough people uh, put enough of an emphasis on it, you know, just because it's, it's, it's nice to think I'm right. Yeah. Or it's nice to think that like I know things, but like realistically, I think if, I think, I think life is better gone through with the perspective I have something to learn from everyone. Like everyone's perspective has the right to be heard and there's always a chance that I'm wrong. I think if everyone has that, I think that perspective is just, is just a wonderful thing. Yeah, we, we'll get to it later in this list, but I highlight things of that nature, I think pretty extensively. So I, I think uh, we'll have some agreement there, but, but uh, let's, we can go in order because this is the order I guess I made it in and it's not in a particular order, but I guess why not? Um, so the, the second one is, it is okay to engage in short-term pleasure seeking sometimes, but do not allow the maximization of your serotonin boost to become an end in itself. Uh, and the kind of subnote there is when other people's preferences are involved in your pleasure function, being as flexible as possible should be your top goal as that is a dominant strategy to maximize overall happiness. Now, to kind of explain what that means is, is sort of what you were saying, right? Like m- the best example is like, what restaurant should I go to? Whether it be with like my girlfriend or friends or just anyone or like my, like what restaurant should we go to? I am always like, I am so flexible, whatever you want, I'm in. Because that's a dominant strategy. Cause I genuinely, unless there's like a particular thing that I really, really don't want, which is not very often the case. Cause I just genuinely like food. I am just like, uh, but I'm just like, let's do whatever you want because there might be something that you want and that will make you really happy and I'll be really happy either way. So it's actually a dominant strategy for me to just be like, hey, let's do whatever you want. Or it could be, you know, not just restaurants, really as it relates to kind of what I said is anytime there's preferences related in other people's preferences and my pleasure function, like as long as the set of options are all in the positive for me. I'm kind of okay doing whatever the other person's doing, like doing stuff in whatever order they want to do it or doing like whatever fun activity it is to be done. Like I kind of think that it's a dominant strategy to just be flexible. Um, and so that's kind of the sub bullet. And then to engage more with the full bullet, it's more for like myself to be like, all right, sometimes it's okay to do things for like short-term pleasure, like eat ice cream or just like, I don't know, do whatever it is that, that gives you your maximum, like you, that maximizes your short-term pleasure. But that's like sometimes good. And like, it's a means to your overall welfare. Like I think part of living a good life is like having things that give you pleasure. But if you're all, if you're having a bowl of ice cream every day, like then it's no longer good because then it's, then it's changing your reference point as to what gives you pleasure um and it's not good for you or like doing any other short-term pleasure boosting thing like if you become dependent on like having ice cream every day then ice cream is no longer going to give you as much pleasure as it used to give you and that's really bad because not only is it unhealthy for you but also you're losing the original short-term serotonin boost that you're uh, getting in the first place so the rule is basically it's okay to get short-term pleasure sometimes but don't focus on that and then when other people are involved in your pleasure function uh, try and take them into account uh, and be super flexible. 
so to like not get so bogged down like neurotransmitter talk yeah i think i think the gist of that rule is like enjoy your life but like have a life to me because because like it's fun and healthy to do things that are fun sometimes and like if we're going to use the example of like eating ice cream like it's not a bad thing to like have like a sweet thing every once in a while but like if you take it to a point where you're no longer being healthy and like you're damaging your own well-being then you're not going to be enjoying your life maximally yeah so it's just it's just enjoy your life but don't take it too far i is is what that one means to me and like i agree with that 100 percent, i agree with yeah that. and and like the goal like i would be very happy if people agreed with most of most of the rules like i don't want anyone and i don't think anyone will uh watches and be like every single rule is perfect and works for me and this is mutually exclusive and completely exhaustive list of all the things that are virtuous in life like obviously not but the idea is that this is supposed to be at least from my intuition somewhat of a list of like things that are like genuine genuine genuinely like these are virtues that i like to hold um and like are important for me in my life so something that i've struggled with historically is uh what i'd call like black and white thinking like thinking that in any given situation that there are two choices and that's never true you know like in any given circumstance there are like the there are multiple options and i think that goes uh particularly so in terms of like right and wrong in the sense of like correctness so like like it's easy to say like oh you're right or you're wrong and like i'll be like 100% and rule them out either way and like but what's harder to do is to look at something and be like okay i agree with this bit of it and not with that bit of it so i'm going to take what i like and leave what i don't and that's the really the more effective strategy mm-hmm. but that's hard to uh that's hard to put into practice at least it has been for me yeah i'd, I'd say the most uh the most like prevalent example has been for me like while growing up it's like it's like there comes a point i feel like maybe for a lot of kids where it's like oh my parents taught me this and that was wrong yeah but like it's it's more complex than that yeah you know cuz it's like it could be it could be like yeah parts of that will not work for who i am but that doesn't mean that every single lesson was was bad or was mis construed or like was was like poorly like taught you know you, you it can might be find like this very funny but something that i've struggled with uh for like a ve- gone back and forth with a very long time is like the concept of teaching kids about the tooth fairy uh and until a couple of months <laughs> ago i was so categorically opposed to it i'm just like you should never knowingly lie to a child it like erodes their trust in you and like blah 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 and now i'm just like eh, it's not so bad it's not the worst thing in the world um i think it's actually kind of a lovely thing that as a society we've decided to create a sense of wonder for children yeah and now i i think i've that that's been like a very tangible way where like my thinking on an issue has like 
flipped completely 180 in the past month. And, and it hasn't really flipped 180 because I always kind of saw the merits from one side and the other. Um, and I still think it's not good to lie to children, but I think the way that I've weighed those different factors has changed. Yeah, it's not black and white. Is yeah. what it is. It's not like, it's not like, well I, well, I think lie is a word with like very negative connotations. Yeah, yeah. As and it I should, think, by the way. Have as it should, as it yeah. should. But I think, I think applying that uh, ubiquitously to anything that's untrue is black and white thinking. Yeah. I think yeah. if you're, I think if you're telling someone something that isn't necessarily true or that you don't believe in order to preserve their feelings, I think that's a nice thing. Yeah. I, I think, I don't think that's a bad thing to do. There's, there's a problem with the English language in that we don't have the right number of words for the number of things that are there. So like, there's a thing where it's like, you tell, you tell someone something that might not be like you, you could even, if you, have you ever read the things they carried? Like there's the concept of story truth. It's like this guy went to Vietnam, Tim O'Brien and like things happened and like he writes the book and like the whole book is about the dichotomy of like story truth and actual truth. And ultimately like the story truth is more important, right? Like even if it's not detail by detail, like what's kind of more important is like conveying what happened. Um, even if like there's a little bit of fudging the truth. Um, but like, it's not really a lie. I mean, it's a lie, I guess, technically, but there's not really a word for this other category of things that like aren't true if like you were a robot, if you were like had an AI and you were like, does the tooth fairy exist? Like, no. Or like, are you, is this person pretty on their wedding day? Like, no. But like, there's a category of things where you should still say them and it's good to say them even if they're not the actual truth. Like you can tell your kids the tooth fairy is good. You can tell the person they look beautiful on their wedding day, you know, and that's not a lie and it's not truth. It's just something else and we don't have a word for it. It's just being kind. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but we should have, a, there should be a word for it. Um, and it's a failure of our language. It's not so inventive English. Yeah. I, but I mean, I also think that's like a question of perception because you know, what is, what is, if you're like, if you're discussing an event that happened yeah, and two people have two different perspectives on it, that doesn't mean one's lying, one's telling the truth. Yeah. I, I agree with that. They can both, they can both be telling the truth. You know, yeah. the truth, the truth is a hard word. It's just, yeah. It's because it's because our realities are so uh, perception fueled. Yeah, I mean the top thing that was my inspiration for doing this is a pursuit of capital T truth, um, and that includes obviously a lot more than just like what happened exactly in what order. Like, give me a full transcript. Like, ultimately, whenever like something happens and it's like, oh well, you said this, you said that. I'm just like this. This doesn't matter, right? Like, neither of us, but both of our memories are flawed to the point where neither of us is going to get our exact finger on exactly what happened. The point is what's the spirit of what happened? Um, and like the word you could use is like the story. Truth. Like what basically happened? What was like the vibe? What were like the things that people took from it? Um, that's like a lot more important than the actual uh, truth. I think at this point though, we're kind of deviating a bit from uh, the actual list, which is not necessarily a problem, but also, 
uh, just something to note. So last thing I'm going to say on this, and then yeah. we can move on to number three. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, sorry that I'm like moving us forward. I just don't want. No, to no, no. I I like forward. it because we yeah we shouldn't we shouldn't go for so so long. Yeah. But if I tell someone, if if I say to someone, "You're beautiful," and I don't necessarily mean it, but they believe it, and they think I'm beautiful, then I just did a good thing. And if that they believe it, then it just became the truth, you know? Yeah. Their world, then that's true. And became, therefore, that's it the became, truth. It, 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 like, it, it might not have been true to me in the moment that I said it, but once I said it, it could become true. Yeah. And, 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 and I feel like I'm explaining this very abstractly. Does no, no, I, I, I am fully on board to the point where you've now convinced me that we probably need not only, like, we're not missing just one word, like the tooth fairy is we probably need a different word for the truth that the tooth fairy is to the truth that like the ugly person is beautiful on their wedding day to like the truth that like your story, the, the memory was like a story truth, but not an actual truth. Like there should be a whole litany of words that describe the nuanced different things that are tr- all under the umbrella of capital T truth, even though some of them don't aren't like actually technically like two plus two equals four truth, even though that's not true either. Like whatever, like the truth of this, this mug is blue to human perception or something like that, which is like as close to, to whatever as we can get. Minutia. I think, I, yeah. I mean, I think, I think there could be a practice where those words were created, but I think that kind of deviates from, uh, like the place where we're coming from and we're trying to develop uh, like rules or principles. And I think the rule shouldn't be, be honest, I think, or be, be truthful. I think the rule should be, be genuinely kind. Yeah. Well, it, it, you'll notice. That's my perspective I, on it though. Yeah. I, I, I like that. You'll notice that in nowhere, I, 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 I will command F it right now. I think besides for these uh, values at the top, I did not use the words truth or I think, did I use honest? I didn't. I didn't use either of them in at all in my virtues. Um, so I am on board with you. I, I don't hold the English word truth to be such an important thing. I think capital T truth is very important. And I think that things like you're beautiful on your wedding day are also very important. Um, even though maybe those things don't fall under like dictionary definition of truth, but. Well, I think, I mean, I don't think specifically like on one's wedding day or on a particular day in general, I think spreading positivity is just good practice. I think. Yeah. And I think if you are thinking like a negative thing about a person, I think sharing it and like, bringing that into existence and like like giving that the potential to have a negative impact on that person is bad practice i think it's bad practice for the person saying a negative thing because once it's out there it's up to the other person to decide whether or not they're going to accept it if someone says to me you're ugly they said that and like once it's out there it's up to me to be like am i going to believe that or am i going to turn that down and am i going to uh choose to see it a different way yeah because and so 
I think the person who's really struggling in that situation is the person who says you're ugly because that just means there's some negativity internally that they're trying to project outwards. I think a person who is absolutely content with themselves will never spread negativity. Someone who's truly centered in like their like personal happiness is never going to like try and bring others down because they don't feel the need to, they feel the need to lift others up because that makes the world better. So I think, I think, I think a good rule that might not be on here is be kind with your words. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm noticing now. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's so interesting to, to cut like it, what you're saying just seems so right to me. Uh, and like, it was a message that I think I, I was trying to echo in the entire uh, rule set and virtue set, like be positive. But I don't know if I specifically talked about it. Um, but like maybe there sh- that should have been like one of the virtues, like on its own. Just like be positive, infuse positive vibes into the world. Just like end of story, like number one. And so another thing that I like. I'll just do like a notes for myself, honestly. Well. I think, I think something that'd be good about like a set of rules like this is just like ending at the end and just being like, try your best to follow it because you can't expect perfection, you know, because like everyone's going to have slips and everyone's going to make mistakes and your best on one given day could be different than your best on a different. Yeah. Well, I I think you'll enjoy my, my final rule, uh, that, that I put in here. Um, but Anyways, let's, let's move on to number three. I feel let's like that was good. number three. But th- I mean, this whole thing was a work in progress. I I wrote the bulk of this um, yesterday, so that's something to note. Um, <laughs> and this is the first outside observer uh, that's looked at it. So I mean, there's there's still lots of lots of places where this can go and and improve. So I think that's a very good improvement. Um, number three is give as much to charity. And then in parentheses, as and to the most effective charities, as feels right after deep consideration. And then kind of the the bullet point is, be confident in the amount if you have to tell others. But more importantly, try occasionally taking some time to reflect and dwell on the plight of less fortunate people, and be sure to have your credit card on hand. And and the way that this that I kind of think about it is just like, I don't need to put uh, exact thing on like occasionally right like it could be once every few weeks once a month once a quarter it could be whatever you want uh whatever occasionally means or could be on not any particular time frame but just like once in a while make sure you're taking time to like sit down on your own have nothing booked out and just like think about how lucky if you're listening to this right now and you're in america and it's the year 2020 or later right we are in the best circumstance of anyone who's ever lived ever. Like if you've got a college education, you have the, basically the world of opportunities in front of you. You can do anything. You can go anywhere. You can use a cell phone. You can use a computer, connect to the internet, all of this stuff. You have, you have so many gifts. And there are some people in the world, particularly in, you know, like 30 years ago, it was people in uh, Bangladesh, but today it's, it's people in sub-Saharan Africa who don't have access to those things. Or, or maybe there's another cause uh, that is going to motivate you to give, but like that, that's the one that, that 
motivates me. And I, I just, if you just think about that occasionally and just like really dwell on it and like have your credit card at hand so that like you can spend money to solve problems when you're really feeling it, then uh, I think like that's a pretty good virtue. And like for me, I basically give, I, I will only give money to give directly, basically. Like I don't think that it is the most effective charity to like give directly to like homeless people on the street or other things of that nature. And, and some people do want to give charity that way. Some people want to give charity to their, you know, alma mater, their school, whatever it is. I, I think just like really consider what are the most effective charities. There are some really good websites that you can go to that kind of rank charities based on their administrative costs and the amount of impact that they give. But, you know, as long as it's within a certain range and it's doing something good and it's not like donating money to like some, like if you're donating money to like a political organization, that's not charity. That's like your own impetus, right? I'm saying do something that's like good for the world and like maybe it doesn't directly connect to you. Um, and there's plenty of websites you can go to to kind of find good lists of things and really be deeply considerate about like how much can I give to these people and such that I can go to sleep at night. And like, I'm not saying you have to be Peter Singer and like give away 50% of your money every year and like never go to a movie or like out to a restaurant because you're like stealing money from people in Africa. But at the same time, just like consider it, just like think about the plight of those people, how much less fortunate they are, and think about how good of a situation you are in, uh, and and give give money. So we've talked about your uh, stance on charity like a little bit in a previous podcast, and for the most part, I agree with that. You can make uh, more positive impact uh, by taking like a bigger picture approach. But I'd say that rule can be, for me, broken down into. Uh, two segments i'd say one of them for me is be grateful for what you have and the second one for me would be consider perspectives beyond your own and consider consider what life would be like for people who uh may not have it it's also i think to a lot of extent um comparison can be uh, or comparison can have a negative impact on happiness and thinking like I've got it good and these other people have it bad is not ubiquitously true because like people because happiness isn't contingent upon uh, like material things and there's just there's there's levels to it so but I do think I do think that being grateful is important and i think considering outside perspectives is equally important and in terms of charitable giving like that's just another method of spreading positivity and like doing right by other people yeah yeah i i put gratefulness slash comparison in in the notes it's interesting because as i'm reading the fourth one right now i'm kind of seeing how i could have split these two up differently but I'll say the fourth one anyway, um, because in a sense, these are things that I think are important, not only for improving the world, but also like good things to like do in your own life. So the fourth one is, it is okay to occasionally splurge for special occasions. And sometimes it is worth spending a bit more to save time and energy. But as a rule, spending less is always better. 
And then uh, the little subnote is, this is true both for me so that I can always live below my means, support my family, and not have to be reliant on others, but also so that I can have excess resources to share with those who are in need. Um, so I'm, I'm, there's a bit of a tie-in with uh, the last one, and I ended up splitting these up into two rules because it was just kind of a lot to say. But the point of these two rules was basically I, I very easily could just be like, don't spend money unless you need to. Um, for the most part, like it's, you can go out for like a nice dinner and like, you know, date night for like, you know, anniversaries and birthdays or other good occasions. But like, generally it's like better to just like cook at home than eat out at a fancy restaurant and better to like not go on the most expensive vacation, or at least if you're on vacation, like don't spend the most amount of money ever. Not that like, don't go on vacation ever. Don't eat at a restaurant ever. Just like, you know, try and be mindful that like saving less is better. And, and sometimes there are things that would be like such a hassle and like would take a ton of time to save not so much money. So then whatever, it's kind of okay if you spend a bit more, but the, the basic point is live below your means, right? So that you don't have to be, so that you don't have to rely on other people and you can, you know, support your family and, and, and uh, not have to worry about that and not have your family have to worry about like not having food on the table. But also, like, whatever extra resources you have, you can kind of feed it back into number three and help other people out. Um, so so I, I guess these, these two rules, you can, kind of, you can kind of slice them and dice them and put them out in, in uh, two rules in, in kind of a better way, like you were saying. Well, I think the first four rules, because I think this one, uh, I think four and two work really nicely together. Because it's enjoy your life, but don't be excessive. Yeah. And I mean, there's going to be different people have different priorities and I'm the kind of person that would rather spend on experiences than things. Cause I feel like that will bring me more pleasure, yeah. but you know, just like get like, like do what makes you happy because the happier you are as a person and the more positive you are as a person, the better an impact you can have on the world. So it's important to take care of yourself. Like, don't take care of others at the expense of letting yourself suffer, but going too far the other way. Well, I also think that once a person has themselves taken care of and is feeling content and positive with the things in their life, they will, as a result, just do better by those around them. Yeah. Even if it's voluntary, because as someone who's really content with the things that they have, if they have extra money, they're going to feel okay to give it away, you know? Yeah. I mean, th there's a lot of things to be said for, it it's like very interesting always. Like, you know, I, I think about like Bill Gates's kid and like how much uh, kids and like how much money is he going to save for them or not give to them. And like, ultimately the way I think about it is like, there's something to like having too much money is like a real problem for people. And that's crazy because if they, we're able to recognize that that's the root of the problem. Like their lives could be so much better, but instead they try using money to like solve the problem and like buy more and more things. And then it's all fleeting. And, and, you know, it's kind of a shame, but I think ultimately it's important to remember that money is also only a means to an end for you. And there's such diminishing marginal returns in terms of taking vacations or going out to a number of restaurants or, you know, X, Y, and Z. But there's really amazing returns you can get and just feel really fulfilled 
by, and this is appealing to people's like selfish nature, but you can feel so much more fulfilled giving a hundred dollars to charity in, instead of spending a hundred dollars going to eat at another nice restaurant and buying a nice bottle of wine or whatever. Um, well, I also, I like debate the like underlying need to have that much, you know, like what drives a person to make $150 billion? Like what, 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 what Power. makes them do that? It's, well, well, it's, it's, I think, I think it all comes from, I think all decisions are a reflection of like our internal worlds. And I think, I think the need for that, like the hunger to keep on having more and making more is probably reflective of a dissatisfaction with something within oneself. Well, okay, so uh, this is actually gonna tie in so well with the next rule. Um, But I I will say one more thing, because you were talking about uh, how you like experiences more than uh, things, and I, I feel a very similar way. And funny enough, I did like my last ever presentation in college um, was what one of the stats that we used as the basics uh, as the basis for like our presentation was like 77% of millennials like experiences more than want to spend on experiences more than things. Like, those stats are like kind of dumb, <laughs> but I do think they're hitting on something which is kind of true, which is that there is a way in which the people in our generation are, and maybe it's because millennials and like the, the people in our age, age range and like 10 years above like don't have as much money as their parents did but do have access to like travel and do more experiential type things um that it's like kind of a positive aspect of our generation um and maybe well, a generation above us i also i think people are getting better i think and i don't think th- i don't think that necessarily goes to say that uh so it's a biased it's a biased statement for me to have, but I do think our generation's priorities are it's also it's also tough to categorize people by the year that they were born because yeah. it's really not yeah. it's not a super relevant measure. But it's, I think it's it's more about it's more about the culture. Uh, I think growing up, so that's a better way to put it. I think the culture is moving. I think at least in the United States, at least like from my perspective in like the world that I live in, which is not the same as, uh, which is actually vastly different than probably many other people. Half, half of the country, probably. Like there's the, there's the culture on the coasts of the college educated elites. And then there's the culture of like the heartland. And then there's other, there's all sorts of other cultures, but, but there's, there's basically two broad categories. Um, and they have very different cultures and there are aspects that are really good about some and really bad about some um and and that can be said for both sides but i think something that can be said i mean like you could look at the people in our generation and and the generation above us and just like see their social media usage and like especially now with like i see people on like tiktok and they're like obsessed and like how many views like i'm a tiktok influencer i'm a snapchat instagram this and that and spending all their time and like I'm like, oh my God, like this is so terrible, but there's also sometimes things that are not so terrible. So that, that was kind of the main point I was gonna make. I do firmly believe that 
the world is getting better generation after generation. And it's probably going to take a long time for it to reach a place that might be considered good. But I do think we're, I think we're getting better. I think, I think, I think generally the, you know, the, the arc of history is bending towards progress. So, I agree. And I think that's, uh, I think that's a trend we can count on. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're going to regress. I think, I think we're going to keep on moving forward in a way that is possible. Well, I think there could be short-term, there probably are right now, ways in which there are short-term kind of regressions. Um, but I think generally, like, again, like this long arc of history is kind of bending in the right direction. So yeah, there's always going to be bumps in the road. There's always going to be moments of extreme tragedy. That's, it's, yeah. that's, it's part of life. It, it's yeah. a sad part of life, and it's also good to... Uh, honestly and openly experience those negative things and view them as negative. I think trying to hide from them is probably a bad thing. Yeah, but but I think even pre-coronavirus, you know, if you look at the U.S., you look at our polarization or our media, our institutions, uh, our political system, you know, I think they are in a state of regression over the past, uh, you know, decade, but maybe even more so in the past few years. And I don't think we're out of it yet. And, you know, my hope is that that kind of, turns around and things become more civilized and there's more trust in institutions um, and the media and sense-making organs, but maybe not. Um, but it's important to, I think, note that this is like a, a, a period in which there are regressions. I think, I think the positive direction that's moving in is that young people see that. Yeah, I think that's the positive. I think the fact that we notice it and like are like that's fucked up. That's not cool. We can't we can't let that persist. And I think if notice it, but the last five candidates that were still running for president were all born between the eight between uh, nineteen forty one and nineteen forty nine and are in their seventies right now, which is so completely insane. Well, that's just because there's a disconnect between politics and culture, and that's because the youth influence culture and the aged influence right. politics. And yes. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think that's just kind of how it goes. And I think by the time that our generation is going to be in political office, things are going to get a little bit better, but they still won't be great. And then the next generation will be like, look at these like old people, like not getting it still. And like, that's probably going to be true then also. Right. But right, what, what I'm, what I'm saying is more of a claim that we've had like if you look at all the presidents i mean obama was a bit of an outlier but not even that i mean definitely an outlier but if you look all the way back uh through you know clinton bush obama trump you know everyone is in and now either trump or biden right this is going to be you know 20 30 plus years of basically uninterrupted people from the same generation like obama's kind of the the youngest of them all um, but not even that much younger. Um, and it's going to be like 30 years of people all kind of from, from the same period of time. And who's to say, it, right, is it going to jump right away to someone who's 40? Or in 10 years, are we going to go to the people who are right now in their late 50s, early 60s, right? Like, when is it going to be that people in our generation are in power? Maybe it won't be for another 40 years, at which point all of our ideologies will be way outdated. Um, yeah, and I think that's I think that's probably how it's going to go. But I think that's. I don't think that's necessarily a bit. I don't. I think that's kind of just the natural course of things. I don't think it's. The I think trying to. I think trying to rush change is probably a bad thing. Yeah, but I think it's not the natural course to have like a society predicated on. Okay, only seventy-year-olds are going to be in charge. 
Well, it's it's hard to argue natural course in terms of that. Because when else in history did we have so many seven-year-olds? No, right, not, not before, but especially now when we're dealing with, uh, you know, long-term structural issues, you know, yeah. for, uh, foremost among them probably climate change, but also like a ballooning uh, national debt and other structural issues in our education, healthcare, infrastructure, um, social safety net systems that are like real long-term problems that these people who are 70 are not going to bear the brunt of those consequences, but like me and you will. Like me and you are not going to get social security, but like Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Michael Bloomberg, Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders are all, and their generation are all going to get social security, but like we won't. And they are not going to have to deal with real problems from climate change, but we will. will. I think that's all true. Okay, cool. I, you know, like I, I struggle to the extent that of what can be done besides the fact that uh, opinionated young people should vote. Yeah, I mean, we should just make it easier. We should have electronic voting where you could do it on an app and you press a button and voting takes 30 seconds, you know, but... But, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, the political system, just in the way that it's managed logistically, completely. among among other things, is ridiculously. It's obsolete, is what it is. It 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 doesn't work for us. Um, and like I don't feel the same connection to America as maybe I would have, or maybe as my parents did when they were my age, or maybe as I would. Ha- as I would if I thought I had real power in the system and that my voice mattered. But that's not the topic for, for right now, but it could be a topic for- We could talk about uh, that for a long time. Yeah, I mean, maybe you want to jot it down on a note somewhere, but like we could talk about how basically like the common values that we shared in America, right? Things like fam- the, the family structure, um, religion and patriotism, like these things that united us are just like not existent anymore. Um, and that just causes, and you know, that's not to mention the fact that everyone in the country basically would turn on Walter Cronkite every night in the seventies. And now, uh, you know, now we're all getting our information and news from another place, but this is all a separate discussion that we can have. I think we'll move on to rule number five, which, which kind of related to the thing you were saying about what's the drive for these people, um, to always be getting more and more money and things like that. But Maybe this is a different take on it, or, or maybe you'll have some, some insight here. But rule five is always be pushing yourself, except for days off, uh, in pursuit of personal growth and self-improvement. And, and the sub-bullets here are A, never let yourself feel complacent with how far you've come. B, it is okay to strive for external accomplishments, but don't let pride from others be the focus of your striving. And the sub-bullet from that is set the goals that you want for yourself and not what others think are good goals, although those are not necessarily mutually exclusive. So kind of to, to digest that, the idea is always, always try and be improving yourself, whether it be a skill, through learning, in whatever way it is, always try and be improving yourself, right? Now, it's okay if you're like on a vacation or it's okay if like you miss a day or like you have a busy, right? Like it's, it's not the end of the world if you like, miss a day um but like always don't feel complacent with like where you're at always just try and be pushing 
And then kind of the second uh, piece of this is that it's okay to strive for external accomplishments, but those are kind of arbitrary. So don't really let, you know, what others think about like what you've done, whether it be like, oh, I read like a hundred books this year, or like I did this course or that course. And I, you know, did X, like those stuff are sometimes good metrics, but sometimes they're not. But ultimately what's important uh, is what you want for yourself. Um, and not what others want from you, but of course they're not mutually exclusive because lots of times things that are viewed positively, like reading lots of books or like doing exercise or whatever it is, are also good for you, but, but it's not necessarily. So this one I agree with wholeheartedly. I'd say, I'd say, I'd say the language might be a little too strong just because I think it's a process that comes and goes in waves. You know, you can go, you can go three months with like your focus elsewhere and then suddenly be like, I need to make a change and then work to do that. And that actually was an experience that I've dealt with over the past semester or so. I started, well, I just reached the point where I like was like, I realized I couldn't keep on going on as I had been. So I started doing just like a lot of therapy and surrounding myself with more positive people and just working on like improving myself in as positive a manner as I could. And it kind of, it's been like a couple months and the growth has been tremendous. But like, I feel like I'm reaching a point where I need to focus on more tangible things for at least a little bit. And then if there comes like a moment where like I need to take like another deep dive back into myself and like reevaluate everything again, then that can happen. But yeah. I think it's important to always attempt to be the best version of yourself. I just don't think it's, I don't think it should be viewed as like a battle. It should be viewed as like a journey, you know? Yeah. Oh, like don't so be constantly pushing yourself to it's just like, <laughs> let it happen. So I'll, I'll say two things. The first is I take that point and I think it's valid and good. I will say though, that this list was made for me to read like kind of on my own. And like, sometimes I feel like I work well when I like have really good incentive structures, uh, like for myself to like do things or like if there's something I want, like I am just like, like I'm not allowed to get in bed and like watch TV unless I do like these things on a list. And like that works for me. Maybe that doesn't work for everyone. Um, but sometimes I, I, I need to, and, and I want to, uh, like have clear and concrete incentives that like I'm, I will hold myself to. Um, but also like I totally have gone through like the same kind of periods where, you know, extensive growth and then periods where like that kind of stops. Even like senior year, first semester, I like came back from abroad and like first month, like I was having a great time. I was like chilling, seeing lots of friends, like doing a fair amount of learning, everything was good, but like not really excessive growth. And then I went on like a solo trip to Amsterdam and like, then I came back and I was in like, I like had a lot of time like alone to think. And I also like met lots of cool people and like had like a pretty, pretty perspective changing experience. And then kind of had like a bit of hyper growth mode. And I, I had a kind of similar thing at the start of second semester. And, and I think, you know, having some periods where you're growing more and somewhere you're growing less is, is, always totally fine. I just think generally 
uh, not letting any kind of feeling of complacency is pretty good. It's just like you can kind of shift up, uh, shift out of hyper growth mode to maybe like fine tune or like work on some more tangible things and then kind of switch back. But it's important to never be in a place where you don't have like a, a growth mindset, at least when you're in your like early 20s. Yeah, just always just, just maintain open-mindedness. Yeah. Always be like willing to always be open to change, but don't always be forcing it, I would say. But to, to talk about um, how the like positive and negative uh, stimuli like works for you, if, uh, if you think about it, human children are domesticated in a very similar way that animals are. It's like good behaviors are given rewards and bad behaviors are given punishments. Yeah. And so that leads to like two, that leads to two different um, systems in place where one is going to be like, like positivity based and being like, I'm doing this because I think it's a good thing to do because it makes me feel good. And because like, it's, it feels like the right thing to do. And then the other one is going to be, I'm not going to do that because of fear, because I'm afraid of some negative thing. Yeah. And so to my mind, to my mind, I think, I think I try and avoid decisions and choices that are made out of fear because fear is one of the like negative emotions, just like the same way I try and avoid decisions made out of anger and just like, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a destructive thing I feel, but again, to each their own, that's just my perspective. I'll tell you tangibly um what like my incentive struck like for example my cousin jake recommended that i watch uh the wire it's very very famous show amazing amazing show i love it um at the same time i don't want to be spending more than two hours a day watching tv um and i like watching tv like in bed before i go to sleep so like my incentive system is basically you get to watch the show if you do all the things on the list but if you don't do all the things on your list, then you don't get to watch TV in bed before you go to sleep. End of story. And, and, and it's not like pain, like fear. It's just like, oh, damn, like I didn't get to do it. And, and the truth is I just consistently did all the things on my list. And I finished a season, you know, no, nine or ten days because I just like did it every day and then watched an episode or two every day. And then that was it. And like that works really well for me. But it's not fear. It's more just like carrot and the stick. Like the stick is yeah, yeah, yeah. thing, right? Like I don't need to be like, I'm going to sit here and like punish myself. It's just like, oh, like I don't get to give myself like this treat that like I get into bed and like sometimes I have like a chocolate bar and I just like watch the wire and have that. And like, I'm just like so happy. But like, like the one time where like I didn't do all the stuff on my list, like I just didn't do it that night. And then I was like, all right, like that's fine. Like I didn't have a, uh, great day like I'm not going to do this and that's kind of okay and then like I'll wake up the next day and just like get right back to it so that's <laughs> I think that's it's a funny concept you just learn to parent yourself but as yeah. long as you're doing it in a way that's like understanding and positive I think that's uh, I think that's a great thing I think yeah. that's a great thing I, I am like I'm just like damn like I really want to be watching the show right now but like I didn't do whatever I needed to do today so like 
not going to happen. And like also <laughs> another time I had like not done what I needed to do. And it was like night and I was like, fuck, like I'm going to just like do the thing now. And I, I, I was like uh, doing, I've been doing um, reflections on each semester of school and I've been spending at least two hours doing each of them. So I'm through like seven right now. And so that's this, a good thing to be doing. Yeah. It, it's been really, really awesome for me. Uh, but it's draining and it's like hours long process. So like it was like midnight and I hadn't done it, but I really wanted to watch the wire. And so then I like spent like two and a half hours doing it. <laughs> and at 2.30 a.m. I was like, okay, now get into bed. I'm like satisfied. I completed it and I watched the wire. I went to sleep at 3.30. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, funny. But like, you know, it, this kind of stuff can, can work. Uh, yeah, of course. As long as as long as it's coming from a place of like, like self love. Like as long as it's yeah, not like yeah. you like be yeah. Because then it's a positive thing. Yeah. Um, cool. All right, I can go on to the next one. Um, so number six, I, I think this maybe is one of the most, uh, if not the most, like important one. But uh, and I think it includes a lot of a lot of the different things that we've been talking about. But. Uh, always try to understand the perspectives of those around me, recognize how they see themselves and the situation, and take that into account before saying or doing anything. And some subnotes are, try to increase the welfare of other people so long as it does not cause me too much trouble. The second one is, do not do other people any harm unless I can justify it to an objective outside observer. And then the final one is, if I do harm someone, uh, even if it was not the wrong thing to do, always apologize as soon as it is feasible. Uh, so so kind of to digest that, I mean, the overarching theme is like context matters. Context is so important. Uh, like if other people are like saying things, like just try and understand like where they're coming from. Like be open to the fact that like they have stuff that you can learn from them. Be open to the fact that like maybe they're not trying to attack you. Maybe they have good intentions, like give people the benefit of the doubt uh, and understand the way that they see the world before you like respond and, uh, you know, say or, or do anything to or with them. And so then like, like the sub bullets are saying, first of all, like try to increase the welfare of other people if it doesn't harm you. Like something that like, like I'm sitting at the family table and like the water pitcher runs out. Like I'm so like, whatever, I'll go get the water. Like it's a good thing. Like, Everyone now has like water on the table. Like I wanted to get water and like, it's not so much, it's not so harmful. Um, and uh, in, in terms of some of the other things, like B, do not do other people any harm unless I can justify it to an objective outside observer. Um, basically, sometimes you have to harm other people. It's just like the thing that has to be done. So like make sure that you can like really justify not only like yourself from your perspective, but like objectively, like this was not the wrong thing to do. And then in those cases where you do harm to other people, uh, always apologize to them if it's feasible. Um, like there are going to be some cases that you could give me a trolley problem and be like, you know, there's a person on the uh, a, a person on the tracks and five people on the other track. The train's going towards the people, towards the five people. You're the conductor. Do you pull the lever or not? Like the truth is, I'd probably pull the lever uh, and kill the one person. But the most important thing there is that I would then uh, apologize to the person or their family um, 
for doing what, what kind of had to be done. So I, I also think this is probably uh, a good place to, to end it and for this one to be the last uh, one of these that we discussed today. But, uh, you know, we'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on it because there's, there's a bunch of parts and I think it encompasses uh, a lot. So I, after going through these rules, I think, uh, I'm seeing some trends personally. Yeah. And I think those trends are just what your values are. And I think your values are, uh, open-mindedness, uh, kindness, enjoyment, uh, and spreading positivity, which are all, I think, good values. And I think those are encompassed in here too. Cause it's like, it, understanding the perspective of others, like we, So we just cut out for a little bit, but I was just mentioning that it seems like there's some trends that have gotten us to this point and the trends I would guess are just uh, the underlying values that made you like establish all these rules. And two of them seem to be kindness and open-mindedness. And uh, I think in terms of this one, the rule itself, I agree with 100%. I agree with part a too that it's important to it's important to help others but it's also important to not hurt yourself in pursuit of helping others because that just limits your ability to help others in the long term so that's just it ends up just not being a productive thing all the way through and for part b you mentioned the trolley problem which i think is uh interesting as a thought experiment but i think in practice like in actual uh like in real life, like I don't think, I don't think there really are like black and white events like that where it's like yeah. I need to hurt someone in order to help someone else. So yeah. I, I think it's good to have something like that in place that it's like that you're going to make decisions in favor of the greater good, like you're willing to make a sacrifice like that. But I do think in terms of like actual life practices, I don't know if situations like, like I do genuinely think that there are very few, if any, situations that are like black and white like that, where it's like, I need to do wrong by someone or do right by other people. Like, but, I don't well, think that. The most basic practical, I mean, I agree with you that, that you know, something like a trolley problem doesn't happen so often, but like the most basic one that, that happens in my life is like, let's say, you know, me and you had like scheduled a plan to go to dinner and then like something came up in like my life that like I needed to deal with, whether it was like through myself, my family, a friend, whatever it is. And like, I had to cancel our dinner. So like, that would be kind of harming you and it would kind of be shitty to you. Uh, right. Cause like it would, it would inconvenience you and this and that, but like, I would be able to justify it to like an objective observer. And like, it's not the wrong thing for me to cancel. So like, go deal with this more important thing. So like the point is, you know, make sure that I'm apologizing to you saying like, look, I'm so sorry that, uh, you know, I inconvenienced you or, uh, you know, ruined your timing or this and that. Um, and like, just to give a real heartfelt apology, but the rule is not like, don't do harm to someone. Right. Cause there are cases where yeah. you have to harm someone. It's just like when someone has to be harmed, make sure it's like really justifiable before like you inconvenience them, uh, or harm them in any way. And then apologize to them once you do, even if you didn't do the wrong thing, uh, make sure you're apologizing. So 
Okay, I agree with that. I think harm might be a little strong of a word for uh, the scenario that we're describing, but I agree with that. Yeah. I'm on board. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's any type of thing that decreases their welfare, right? That's what I would define harm as. So yes. what that be like, I, you know, brutally murder you or like I cancel our dinner plans. It's harm. It's obviously different, <laughs> different levels of harm, but you know, yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah i get the point i get yeah. the point I see, I see i see where you're coming from yeah good stuff this is this is a this is a good thing i think we'll we'll wrap it now on the uh on the recording uh and hopefully we'll post it online hopefully we'll get some good feedback um from people if if video quality was better or if things went well in the zoom and then also uh for any of our listeners who are interested we should have the podcast up fingers crossed on Spotify and Apple in uh, not too long of a time. And, and we'll both be sure to post about that when that happens. So I think we'll stop the recording here, but uh, this was, this is very good. Any, any part yeah. of the viewers? This was fun. I'm happy yeah. we did this. Yeah.